0: I'm really excited to begin a new series with you today. It's called the Counselor. You know the Bible says that they shall call his name Wonderful Counselor. Speaking of Jesus, I don't know if you've ever been to a counselor, to a psychiatrist, to somebody who you're paying a lot of money to tell you what you don't want to hear. But I have. I've been a few times. Uh, I've I've been on a number of occasions. Sometimes when I wanted to go, but most of the times I went kicking and screaming. Um, but it's interesting, I remember one occasion, just for the record, I, I struggle with rhetoric. I have this, this like confusion in my mind. I feel like when you ask me a question, you want me to answer it honestly. My wife says that's not the case. People don't really want to know what I have to think. Um, but we go to this one counselor, and we're, and we're sitting there, and, and he's sitting on the chair, and our entire staff all of our pastors were, uh, were going, and we were taking turns going to this counselor. And, and his counselor kept asking this question. Do you know what the Bible says? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Well, after like 45 minutes, of every couple of minutes, him saying, Do you know what the Bible says? I can't take it anymore you know I, I'm like I'm like 24 25 and I cannot take it anymore he keeps asking me a question do you know what the Bible I do know what the Bible says so I blurt out absolutely I know what the Bible says and I listed out four scriptures to him my wife is elbowing me just like no that is not what you're supposed to I was like well he just kept asking me and I figure if he realizes I know what the Bible says we can speed this process along The purpose of of coming to a counselor is you've got a person sitting on a chair or wherever they may be sitting, and and they've got their clipboard, and they're writing all this kind of stuff. If you've ever been to a counselor, I don't know, maybe you're like me, I I always want to know, like, what did you just write down? Like, what'd you just say about me? Like, I want to see your notes about what I said after the deal, you know, but, but maybe they're just drawing things. I don't know, but it get, get messes with my mind. But you're sitting there and uh, they're, they're asking you questions and you're on a couch and maybe if you're, if you're with you and your wife or your, your husband and you're sitting there, or maybe you're at one of the counselors where you're, you know, you're laid back and they're asking you all these questions and it's funny how you come to a counselor to ask questions you pay him hundred dollars an hour, and he ends up asking you questions. And you're like, "Sir, ma'am, if I knew the answer to that question, I would go take my wife on a date with that same hundred dollars. But I don't know, so I'm asking you. Can anybody relate? A few of you if been? Some are like, "I've never been to a counselor, pastor. <laughs> Others, your spouse is like, "Yeah, but you need to. <laughs> Here's the thing, Jesus, in His time here on Earth, when 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 Isaiah prophesied of Him that they would call Him Wonderful Counselor, they weren't kidding, because most every conversation that they came to Jesus with, they would come asking Him questions, and if you read through it, it didn't take long to Jesus begins turning around and He asked them questions. Like wait a minute, I came to you. You're the rabbi. You're the one with all the answers. And and, and yet you're asking me, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Do you know that I, I read this week that in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asked over 100 recorded questions? That's what Jesus did. And that's what He's still doing. If we'll allow Him, He'll sit in the chair, and He'll say, pull up a seat, pull up a couch. And He'll start asking you questions. And these questions, expose what's going on in your heart. They expose what's going on in your life. They expose the the, the real truth. You see, we we can lie to ourselves and we can lie to other people, but when Jesus starts asking us questions, and He already knows the answer, it's really difficult to lie to Him. And so in this series, I want to take a look at four questions that Jesus asked. We'll begin in Luke chapter 24, verse 35. In this story, Jesus had died on the cross, been put in a tomb for three days. He had risen from the grave, and picking up here, he had met two men on the road to Emmaus, and he talked with them all afternoon before finally he revealed himself in the breaking of the bread, or he took the Passover meal with him, and, and he revealed who he was. And these men come back to the disciples. All the disciples were gathered there except Judas who had already hung himself and because of he betrayed Jesus and Thomas who was out that day. And here's the story. We're picking up in verse 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Now, I want to stop right here for a second. I understand why the disciples were a little bit startled. But the guys that had been with Jesus on the road to Emmaus are telling the story of how Jesus appeared to them. Jesus appears while they're telling the story... And they're still frightened. <laughs> like the ultimate proof that you're not telling a big long fish story, you know, shows up and you're still frightened. I don't know, that just, that just amazes me. The whole group was startled and frightened thinking they were seeing a gross, v- ghost. Next verse. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Here's the question that Jesus asked them. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Why do you doubt? This, this is an important question that Jesus asked of his disciples. At first, it seems common well, because, Jesus, we watched you die three days ago. We watched the blood pour out of your body. We watched you hang on a cross. We watched them stab a spear into your side just to confirm that you were dead. Jesus, we put you in a tomb. We wrapped you in grave clothes. You were dead, and now you're here. And you're asking, why do we doubt? But Jesus' question pierces right to the heart of the issue, both for them and for us. You see, the resurrection pushes our faith to the brink. We can have faith in a lot of things. And, and, and they may be difficult to have faith in. But nothing is more difficult to have faith in than the fact that Jesus died. And then three days later, he rose again. And then a few weeks later, he ascended into heaven. This pushes our faith to the brink. And he asks us this question. Why do you doubt? Well, Jesus, because you just pushed my faith to the brink. This is really hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. And, and He continually push, pushes our face to, faith to the brink. In every area of our life, when you're praying for your marriage and, and you're struggling and things don't look good, and yet God has said He's going to help you, and, and we're struggling to believe, and doubt is creeping in, and God's saying, why do you doubt? When the doctor says you have cancer and there's no way to fix it, there's no, there's no surgery, there's no chemo, but you just believe that God wants to heal you, and He looks at you and He says, Why do you doubt? Because doubt will speak to you. It will speak loudly to you. It it will try to speak louder and distract you from the things that are building faith in your life. My my living room, we have this uh, open concept between the living room and the kitchen. Really, it just means it's all one room. And what it means is, when I am trying to watch TV, uh, and I've got my sports center on, or the news on, or whatever I'm watching, and you're trying to watch, and my kids are screaming and yelling, coming through, and having issues, and fighting, and, and loving each other, and whatever it is that they're doing at that moment, if you have two kids, you understand, and, and my wife may be in the kitchen, and she's clanging dishes, and she's cleaning, and the dishwasher's running, and, and she's cooking dinner, and there's all this stuff going, on and I just want to hear, but there's all these distractions going around, you know what I'm talking about, so what do you do, you keep trying to turn the TV up, but that doesn't help either, Because that just creates more of a frustration. Finally, you just say, forget it. And life can be much the same way. We're doing our best to hear the Word of God, to hear what the pastor is saying, to hear what the Bible is saying, to hear what God is saying, to hear what our life team is saying. We're trying to to do our best to hear something that's going to build our faith. And yet, the doubt that is going on all around us is speaking so loudly that it distracts us and it confuses us until we eventually just give up. I want to make a bold statement to you today everyone doubts at some point even me everyone doubts at some point just because you've been saved for a long time doesn't mean you've never dealt with doubt and that you may not deal with it again everyone doubts at some point i want to give you three truths about doubts and we talk about the doubt and we talk about some people that have struggled with it Three truths. The first one is this. Doubt is not the end of real faith, but it's often the beginning. We see the story I I mentioned to you a while ago in the story we read that Thomas was not there. Thomas was one of the disciples. You may know him as Doubting Thomas. The reason he was called Doubting Thomas is because he, he wasn't there on the day that Jesus appeared to them, and so when he got back, he was late to church that day, and he missed the whole thing. And they said, Jesus was just here. And he said, I don't believe you. Unless I see the nails in his hand, the scars in his hands and in his feet, and I see the spear scar in his side, I will not believe. And thus he got the name Doubting Thomas. But here's what I love about Thomas. Most of what we know about him, his reputation began with doubt. But his story doesn't end there. Because Jesus did appear to him, and he did show him what he needed to see to have faith in him. He had faith, and as you fast forward through Thomas' life, through his life, you realize that he became a a preacher, and he spoke the word of God all over the known world, and he preached, and he he saw miracles happen, and he ended up giving his life as a martyr when they ran him through with a spear, all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus that he had once doubted. What began as doubt turned into a man of great faith. And I I, I say this to you because I want you to understand that if you came in with doubt today, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's the end of real faith. Well, I doubt it. Now God can't do it. No, 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 no. It's often that real, genuine doubt is what builds, uh, and, and this intense battle that we have with doubt, it builds to a strong, healthy faith. See, you remember when maybe you were young and you just had faith in everything, everybody and everything? And then you live life a little while and people let you down and maybe you feel like God let you down and things didn't happen. But then you got to the place where you had faith in a few things. Because some people did come through for you. And God did come through for you. And it built real faith. Now you may not have faith in everything, but in the things you have faith in, you have real faith in. Doubt is not the end of real faith. But it's often the beginning. Second truth is this. Doubt is easy. Belief is work. They came to Jesus and they said, we want to perform God's works too. They said, what do we do to work the works of God? What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one He has sent. The only work that God has for you is believe in the one he has sent. Now, listen, they're saying the the word work there means toil or labor uh, to do something. And they said, Jesus, you're doing all these miracles. He had just broken the bread and fed 5,000 and walked on water and done all these things. They're like, Jesus, what can we do? What kind of labor, what kind of toil can we do to work the works of God like you're doing, to do those miracles, to see great things happen in our lives? And Jesus said, no, you can't, you can't do any work, the only work that God wants from you to see the miraculous happen in your life is believe. Believe in Jesus. He pared it all down because doubt is so much easier. It is easier to be a skeptic. It is easier to doubt. It is easier to say, I don't know about that, than it is to speak up, especially in today's world, and say, No, this is what I believe and this is what I know. But that's what Jesus required of us. That's what God requires of us. The only thing God wants to, for you, to, wants of you to see miracles in your life, to see the, the, the answered prayers that you've been asking for, the only thing He wants. Is for you to believe. Doubt is easy, but belief is work. And then number three, doubt doesn't disqualify you. You come in today and you say, well, Pastor Ren I, I'm struggling because I thought I was disqualified. I used to believe, but things happen and now I don't. Uh, you know, m- maybe you've been coming every Sunday and while you're sitting here, you're doubting everything that you're hearing and you feel, and the enemy is trying to use this to mess you up. Let me tell you this story about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who went before Jesus. And he announced his coming. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He said, Man, this is the guy whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. This guy is the Messiah. He's claiming him to be Jesus. But in verse 3 of chapter, Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is now in prison. He's staring at the end of his life. He's he's in a a jail cell. There's there's a hopelessness and a despair about him. He no longer has big crowds following him and coming to hearing what he's saying, but he's in prison. And he sends word through his disciples. He asks this question. His disciples come to Jesus. And they say, John wants to know, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Here's John the Baptist. He's the one that baptized Jesus. He's the one that dumped him in the water, much like we'll do just a minute ago. And the heavens opened and the dove came down and God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But the situations of his life cause doubt to creep in and hopelessness to creep in. And he sends work back to Jesus and says, are you really the Messiah. Or should we keep looking for someone else? I love the answer that Jesus gives. Jesus doesn't get angry and point his fingers and say, you tell John the Baptist. No. Jesus says, listen, uh, Go back and tell John. Tell him what you've heard and seen. Tell him that the blind see and the lame walk and the lepers are cured and the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life. Tell him that the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus doesn't offer as proof that he could walk on water, which he could. He doesn't offer as proof that he could make the Pharisees look like fools, even though he did it all the time. Rather, he offers as proof, changed lives. He said, I, w- "I want you to go back and tell John that in my name, the hurting people of the world are being totally transformed." And then he goes on, in verse seven, as John's disciples were leaving, he says this, there's a big group. Jesus was teaching and preaching. And, and, and as John's disciples were turning and making their way through the crowd, Jesus didn't stop talking. As they were leaving, Jesus began talking about John to the crowds. Notice, the disciples were still there. John's still in prison. John is in prison with his doubts. His disciples hadn't even gotten through the crowd yet. They're just making their way. And Jesus says, what kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people in expensive clothes clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. Now speaking of John the Baptist, he is more than a prophet. That prophet is in jail living with his doubts right now. They haven't gotten word back to him. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Listen to this. This is the words of Jesus. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. These are the words that Jesus is saying about John while John is in a prison cell struggling with his doubt. This is my paraphrase. Despite his doubts, John the Baptist is still my guy. I still believe Him. And and here's what I want to say of you today. If you came in with doubts, it's okay. God's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He can handle your doubts and He can handle your fears and He can handle your worries. He is not fragile. He can can handle your unanswered questions. He can handle it all. Bring them to God because He is still looking at you and saying, I believe in you. You're my guy. I still have a plan for you. I'm still going to heal you. I'm still going to save your marriage. I'm still going to fix your finances. I'm still going to give you." You the hopes and the dreams that I promised you I would, I still believe in you despite your doubts. Doubt does not disqualify you. So what do we do about them? Four quick ways to deal with doubt. Number one is this, admit your doubt and ask for help. Admit your doubt and ask for help. I love that John didn't just sit there in his prison cell feeling feeling sorry for himself and wondering, worrying, but he admitted his doubt to Jesus and he asked for help. I need your help, Jesus. Are you really the one? He sent word. I say this again to you. God is not fragile. He can handle your doubts and your fears and your worried and all your unanswered questions. Bring them to Jesus. Jesus. And let him answer them for you. Your your doubts don't upset God. They don't anger God. He already knows what's going on in your heart. Don't hide it, but allow him to help you. Number two, and we go back to the story of Thomas for this one. I said to you a moment ago that Thomas got the reputation of being doubting Thomas. Because he said, I need to see the nails in the hands and the scars in in his feet and his side. So he got the reputation doubting Thomas. But he missed that moment with Jesus. So here's the point. Don't miss church. Don't miss your life team. Because when Thomas missed, even though Jesus came back for him, and he's going if you've missed a few times, and this is your first time to be with us in a year since last Easter, it's good to see you. How, how you Mama? now? Everybody okay? Y'all getting all tense on me. I had to break it up just a little bit. When Thomas missed, Thomas missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the proof of Jesus. And he missed the peace of Jesus when Jesus said, peace be with you. When struggling with storms in your life and worry and situations and, and, and there's anxiety and stress don't miss church, don't miss your life team because it's in those moments where you're going to get the peace of Jesus. You're going to get the power and the presence and the proof that he really does exist. If you don't have faith today and you're struggling, here's what I want to say to you. I'll loan you some of mine. It's why gathering together with, pe- with believers, why, why the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of the saints, it's because God knew that when we're going through life, we're going to get some difficult times and our faith is going to be low and doubt is going to be raising, uh, coming up higher and overwhelming us. And he says, make sure you're staying with people of faith because when you're low, you can borrow some of theirs. So I just say to you today, if you're struggling with faith, faith for whatever you're going through in your life, Maybe you're praying for a teenager. Maybe you're praying for a a spouse. uh, Whatever it might be. I'll loan you some of my faith. I wasn't going to talk about this today, but if you're, if you're new here, I just want to tell you that if you will email us at amen at triumphchurch.com, there's also a place on your app you can click, and if you'll email me the names of your kids, I, I pray for them every week, I have a list of names, and I'll pray for your kids, whatever you need, if they're facing um, uh, any kind of problems, if they need help, if, the, if you want them to find Jesus, if they're away from God, whatever it is, I don't care how old they are, I'll pray for them every week, like I do so many already, if you'll just email us at amen at triumphchurch.com. Now, So, number three is, uh, number two is, don't miss church. Number three is, keep going back to what you know to be true. Keep going back to what you know to be true. Romans 8, uh, Paul is talking to us and, and he says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us of whom God has chosen for His own? No one. For God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Watch this. Who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised us to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No. Does it mean that He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? When you're going through the troubles of life, does it mean He doesn't love you? For as the Scriptures say, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I love this. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears, nor for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Here's what he says. I know that I'm going through things in my life. I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been in prison, but here's what I know. I keep going back to this anchor for my soul, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And because of what Jesus already did for us at Calvary, I now have the victory now and forevermore. There's some things you just have to get settled in your life and it starts right here that Jesus died for me and he raised he was risen from the grave and now I am alive with him and no matter what the enemy brings against me nothing can take that away from me. You see doubt tries Uh, it it tries to get us to forget what God has done for us, but today's doubt, it cannot erase yesterday's victory. It can just make you forget. Don't forget what God has done in your life. Let it be an anchor in your soul. Number four, act on your faith and not on your doubts. Faith is more than just words. It requires actions. James tells us that faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean that we can work our way into heaven. But it means that the works of our life, the things we do, the actions are evidence of the faith and the power of what God has already done in our life. Works can't save you. Was Jesus resurrected from from the dead? This, This challenges the limits of our faith. But Here's the thing. If we can get it settled that Christ was raised from the dead. Then we can realize that if he could do that, he can save my marriage. He can heal my body. He can free me from the pains of my past. He can free me from guilt and shame and abuse and and suffering and and addictions and, and sin. He can deliver me from all of it, but it may require action. One more verse and I'm almost done. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten? Here's what Paul wants us to know. That when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death. For we, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. It's in the water of baptisms that our old self is buried. Yes, God has forgiven us of our sins as we repent and we ask for His salvation, and He gives it freely. But we still carry the effects, the habits, the old hangups, the old mindsets of the life we used to live. But here's what God promises, that if you'll go into the waters of baptism, like the Israelites walked through the, the Red Sea, as we go in, we are buried with Christ and we come out, we come out alive with him. Jesus went into the grave carrying sin and shame for the entire world, but he came out righteous and ready to live a triumphant lifestyle victory over death and hell and that's what he wants to do for you it's just water so why is it different that i get in this water what is it about this water that's going to free me from the pains of my past faith faith is the difference faith is what changes everything There comes a point in every person's life when we have to make a decision. Do you believe in the resurrection? Will I live for Christ? Thomas came to that point as he realized, I watched my Savior die. Will I believe in Him? Or will I doubt? I want to play a quick video for you, and then I'll close out our sermon.
1: Look, it's been a rough week, okay? Now they're saying they saw Him. Like He just suddenly appeared in the locked room Uh, they didn't believe it was him but then he showed them his hands and asked why do doubts arise in your mind what kind of question is that why did we doubt we all saw him dead anyways I told them that I will believe it when I see it later we were all praying and all of a sudden Jesus he looked at me like like I was the only person in the room he told me to touch his hands where the nail had went through and on his side where the spirit pierced him he came just to tell me Stop doubting and believe.
0: There came a moment in Thomas' life where he had to decide, I am not going to doubt, but I'm going to settle it, and I'm going to believe. And for every one of us in this room, we're at that moment right now. And God is looking down out of the heavens. He's looking at you, not at your mom or your dad or your spouse or your friends or your family or the person sitting next to you. He's looking right at you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, He's asking you this question, and He's saying, Why do you doubt? Stop doubting. Just believe. The work has already been done. He's already forgiven you. He's already risen from the grave. So let me ask you now, both here and at home, if you want to make a fresh commitment to Jesus, maybe you've never known Christ, but you want to to give your life to Jesus, you want to say, "I've, I've doubted, but now I believe. Or maybe... You used to believe, but the storms of life pulled you away and you're struggling with doubt. But today you say, Pastor Randon, I want to make a decision. I'm going to believe today. I'm going to live for Jesus. If you've fallen away for a moment, for years, or you've never known Jesus and you want to make a fresh start, would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray with you. All across this room and those watching online, there's more hands that need to go. up. you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to be, make Him Lord and Savior of your life, all right? You can place your hands down now. And I'd like, to say, like every person, if you would, to say this prayer with me. Say it at home too. I know I can't hear you, but God does. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for sending Your Son Jesus to die for me. To forgive me of my sins. To wash me clean. I give my life to You. I have faith for what You're doing for me. I'm going to live for You forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.